This is God's word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for bringing us to this place in this hour. We quiet our hearts now before you and pray that your word may come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. May it penetrate down to the depths of our inmost man. May your words search us. May it also shape us and re refashion us even according to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. May your word be powerful today, even to save sinners that they would call upon your name and find everlasting life. For we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so you have your Bible open, I hope, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend the whole sermon today on verse 25. That wasn't my plan. This happens all the time. I expected to cover a lot more, and then I realized that's three sermons. It's just too much. So let's cut that down. Let's focus in on the one and make, try and make one sermon that makes sense out of it. So this whole sermon is on that verse. You see the verse up there? There it is, verse 25. Before we jump into it, three, three quick reminders. Reminder number one. So... What we're about to see is a command. It's, it's an imperative. It's something we are supposed to do, something you are supposed to do. Please don't allow yourself to drop into this folly that some people drop into where you say, oh, he's preaching a command. That's moralism. Oh, he's preaching a command. That's legalism. It's about grace. It's not commands. No, the grace of God that brings salvation instructs us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present evil age, Titus. So there are commands associated with grace. But the thing is this, these aren't commands by which you become a Christian. These are not commands when you render obedience to the commands, now you become pleasing in God's sight and you'll go to heaven. These are the commands that you render to him evangelical. This is what saints of old called it, evangelical obedience. And what is evangelical obedience? Well, it's the opposite of legal obedience. Evangelical obedience is because of the work of the gospel in me, because of the evangel, because of its power, because by its power, I, by grace, have been made a new creature in Christ, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in me, because I have received from God the love of the truth, I now evangelically render obedience to the commands of God. So we come to this passage, we come to these commands, not thinking, man, if I work really hard and obey these really hard, then I'll become a Christian. 
No, no, no. We come to these commands saying, I'm going to fail. I do fail. I'm a sinner. I need grace. But I've found that grace in Jesus Christ. But now I want to live like a child of God. There's your first reminder. It's not legalism. It's not moralism. It's evangelical obedience. Here's a second reminder. Please remember that though the Apostle Paul penned these words, this is the word of God. These words are given to us by Jesus Christ. These these words are Jesus Christ speaking to us. In other words, none of that mentality, I might call it a red letter mentality, but there's nothing wrong with red letter Bibles, but none of that mentality that says, like someone leaving Cornerstone Church said to me not long ago, well, I took him to the pastoral epistles to show him some things, and he said, I'll just stick with Jesus not Paul. Now, what you don't understand, my friend, is that Paul is telling you the words of Jesus. He is giving you the words of Jesus. This is Jesus Christ fully in control of Paul's psyche and emotions and thoughts and pen, so that when Paul's done writing, every jot and every tittle is exactly what God, exactly what Jesus Christ wanted. It is the word of Jesus Christ. So please, none of that. You can have Paul. I'll go with Jesus. That's your second reminder. Here's a third reminder. And it's this. Remember that this specific command we're coming to, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, this specific command we're coming to is an application. It's an example of the, what Paul had taught us in the previous verses. Now, we're not looking there. I'm not putting them up. What did he taught us in the previous verses? He taught us that one way of viewing the Christian life is this. The entire Christian life is one of putting off and putting on. And the point here is, you don't just put off. You don't become a better Christian when you establish a, a negativity. I'm no longer doing those things. No, you're not there yet. You have to be, I'm no longer doing those things. And now in their place, now you're going to be fully rehabilitated. I am now doing these things. Now you're in the will of God. Now you're rendering evangelical obedience. It's not just putting off. Anytime you put off something, you've got to put on something in its place. So we're going to see Paul's first specific example of how we do that. All right, enough for the reminders. Back to the verse. There it is, verse 25. I'll read it again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, When you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you repented and turned to God that God may be God to you. So maybe you didn't realize it, but you were putting away a whole lot of things, one of which is falsehood. You've come to Christ. You've put away falsehood. You've turned your back to falsehood. It's a past tense. You've done that if you're a believer. Therefore, having put away falsehood, here's the command. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Here's a reason why. For we are members one of another. So the short story, what's this about? Here's what this is about. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. Let me say it again slightly differently. Don't tell lies. Tell the truth. All right, I can say amen. The sermon's over. We'll go into communion. We'll sing the final song. We can all go home. Easier day for me. No, not so fast. There's more to this. But that is what it's all about. Obviously, this, it's that simple. Don't tell lies, but tell the truth. 
But there's a deeper level to that that you might not be thinking about, and that's one of the places I really want to take you today. I want to take you to the deeper level of that. It goes to your heart. It goes to your internal thoughts. We want to look at that especially. But there are many passages that are going to help us with this, this command of our verse, verse 25. So think about many passages. Like if you had to choose a passage in the Bible that's like the premier, the best-known verse in the Bible on not fibbing, what would it be? Where would it be? Yeah, it'd be in the Ten Commandments, right? This actually, this turns out to be commandment number nine, and it reads in the ESV version, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't say things about him that aren't true. Don't say things about her that aren't so. But Paul puts it more broadly, let each one of you speak the truth. It might not just be a neighbor, it might be about an issue, it might be about whatever. We're to speak the truth, but it comes up in the Ten Commandments. So Paul is here in New Testament, New Covenant language, he is reiterating one of the Ten Commandments. In other words, this is a pretty important thing. It made it into the Ten Commandments. This is no small thing. Don't say, well, we're out in a little peripheral issue of the Christian life. No, no, no. This is very important. This is very much in the will of God for us that we would be, that we would become this kind of person, one who does not bear false witness against their neighbor, one who tells the truth. So very simply, this means don't lie to your wife. Don't lie to your husband. Looking at a young man. Don't lie to your parents. Don't lie to your kids. Don't lie to your boss. Don't lie to anybody at work. Don't lie to your employees. Don't lie to the government. The IRS. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very happy with the IRS, quite frankly because I'm not happy with things that America is increasingly spending my tax dollars on. Way back in the 80s, the late, great Francis Schaeffer, great Christian theologian and apologist, he actually said that he thought it might be just if some Christians start withholding part of their taxes in order to object to taxes being used to fund abortions. All right, I'm not going that far. I'm going to go in Romans 13, pay taxes, even if they're doing bad stuff with it, because they were. But I'll tell you what, I'm grumbling. I'm, I'm not happy about it. But don't lie to the IRS. If you're going to hold back some of it, tell them. By the way, I held back half. Let's see how that goes. <laughs> now, this is an aside. I actually know a man. He's a house painter. I know a brother in Christ. He's a strong committed servant, brother in Christ, and he actually did not pay taxes, and he went, he went to court, he went to the IRS, and he won, and they told him, all right, you don't have to pay any more taxes. And it was like on ground of principle, he didn't think government should be doing that, and they were like, you're such an egghead, just go ahead and do it. I don't know what it was. So maybe you could win, but I don't know. Don't lie. Don't lie. But now you need to understand the commandment goes deeper than just the words that come out of your mouth. Because the words that come out of your mouth come from where? Well, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth 
speaks, and, and God is always interested in our heart, not just the things that manifest out of it. So it's not like I can tell myself lies and lies and lies in my heart just so I don't say them, then I'm obeying the command. No, he really wants your heart. Just like Jesus makes clear on the command, you shall not commit adultery. Remember, he says, you have heard, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, and then he takes it to the heart. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. In his heart. So Jesus takes that command and says, you might not understand. You think just because you're not doing the deed, you're clean. But no, you're doing it in your mind. There's a level of dirty in that. So it's the same thing with this command. It's not just, just so the words coming out of my mouth are true, it's okay, I can think all the lies I want to. No, it, he, God's really interested in your heart. You are, here's what the command really wants. You are to become careful to be a truth thinker about everybody, about everything. We have to learn not to trust ourselves. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even know my own heart, and there's evil in my own heart, even though I'm redeemed by Christ. So I have to, I have to understand, I, am, I have a propensity. It is very possible for me to think thoughts about them that aren't true, and that's a violation of God's command. So I need to really, really work hard inside of myself with what I allow myself to think about people what I'm saying to myself about them. Is it true or is it just that I'm angry? I'm mad at them. I'm upset at them. So I say words to myself about them that aren't true. No, 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 no. That's not obeying God's command. It goes deeper. It goes to your heart. When is a liar no longer a liar? Well, when he stops telling lies? No, he's still not fully rehabilitated. He's no longer a liar when he thinks truth. When he labors to think and cherish truth in his heart. Here's a great verse about that, about this deeper level. It's Psalm 15, verse 1. I'll put it up. The psalmist is basically saying, Lord, who's a real believer? Who will really go to heaven? Who's the real thing? Oh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? That's pretty cool. That means who's going to heaven? That's God's tent is heaven. Who's going to sojourn? Who's going to go there and stay there? Who's really going to heaven? Old Southern spiritual, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. And the psalmist is saying, okay, so who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who's really going to heaven? Then here's the answer. And the answer is not those who are saved by grace, though he, he knows that. But what he answers is, here's how we'll see who the real believers are. There are plenty of people who say, yeah, I'm saved. I'm a child of Yahweh. I follow the Lord Jesus and all that. But if you don't see this in their life, they're phony. They're at least very ill, and they might be phony. So who's going to heaven? Who's going to sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Here's the answer. He who walks blamelessly. Man, there's got to be a lot of grace in that, huh? <laughs> a lot of the blood of Christ applied to that. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. Now here's what we want. And speaks truth. Where? In his heart. There it is. Even in the Old Testament, there it is. God was after the heart. When it comes to the commandment, you shall not bear false witness. When it comes to the commandment, don't tell lies. When it comes to the commandment, speak truth. God is always concerned about your heart. 
and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander. See, if you're not speaking truth in your heart about them, then you start to slander them. You say things about them that aren't true and that damage their reputation. Who does not slander with his tongue. He who does these things shall never be moved. <laughs> that was last week's sermon. Two weeks ago, pardon me. That's right, two weeks ago. He shall never be moved. He'll never be moved away from heaven. He'll never be moved away from Christ. He'll never be moved away from the things of God. Because if he's worked with his heart at that level, then he looks like the real deal, and he'll be working with his heart on other commandments as well. So, so it's about your heart. What we have to do, my brothers and sisters, what we have to do, my dear friends, is become truth-tellers in our hearts. Truth-tellers in our brains. So we have to be really careful with the stories we allow ourselves to tell ourselves about them or about what really happened or about what didn't happen or about why they did that or about what they meant. We have to really work hard with, wait a minute, is that just a story I'm telling myself or is it grounded in fact? We're very prone to tell ourselves stories according to the way we feel, but we have to look for facts. And it also it governs the assumptions that we allow ourselves to make about them, whether, whether, whether we like them or not, our assumptions about them need to be held carefully. Like, this is only my assumption. I'm not going to let myself believe it's a fact. It might not be a fact. If I talk to them, I might come away with a very different understanding of what I thought was going on. So I have to realize this is only an assumption. So I don't start grounding it in like, well, this is a fact. They're this, they're that, they're that. No, they really, really might not be. Give them a chance. So telling truth in your heart. So put off and put on. So we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone, plus nothing, praise God. But that grace that saves then always changes you because, as I say again, because you get a new heart, a soft heart that God's law goes into. It penetrates easily. You get the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You receive a love of the truth of God. God becomes your God. Your supreme desire is to please Him, to honor Him, to live in a way that brings glory to him. All this changes deep inside of you at the level of your heart. And so it's going to change the way you let yourself think about people and truth. So again, when are you rehabilitated? You've been a liar, 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 liar. Can I say it? Pants on fire. <laughs> when are you rehabilitated? Well, when I put out the fire on my pants. No, 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 that's not rehabilitated. You just put the fire out. When are you rehabilitated? Well, when I stop saying lies. No, that's not rehabilitated. You're just a liar who's zipping it for the moment. When are you re rehabilitated? When I start saying the truth. Now you're getting really warm. When am I really rehabilitated? When I've, been lear when I've learned to be very careful inside my brain and inside my soul with what I allow myself to think, true or false. Y'all getting that. I've said it enough times. Y'all get. All right. How you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Because we're here to be like real with the word of God, right? Like, I, I, how am I doing? Am I just nodding and saying, yeah, that's great, that's great. And then you go home and you think lies, 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 lies. How are you doing with that? 
Are you being rehabilitated? So that's what this is about. All right, I can send you home there, but huh? sorry, not so fast. So now I have some things that I'm going to call interesting observations. Here's the interesting, to me it is anyway, interesting observation number one. We have this thing in our day where people are talking about, well, that's your truth, but this is my truth. Are you familiar with that thing? There's your truth and there's my truth and there's his truth and there's her truth and everybody seems to have their truth. You understand, don't you, that on any given issue, there's only one truth. It's God's truth. So you and somebody else collided at the intersection of 24 and Singer Road. One of you had a red light. One of you had a green light. And both of you say, it was your fault. It was your fault. Well, this is my truth. It was your fault. Well, this is my truth. It was your fault. What does God say? You had the red light. Right? It's that simple. And on any issue, on any moral issue, on any ethical issue, on any of these cultural things that are going on, what we want to know is, what is God's truth? And we want to speak that truth. What does God say about that? We want to work hard on our skills to figure out what is the one truth, what is the real truth. Francis Schaeffer, again, used to call it true truth. Because even in his day, there were these attacks. It's really an attack on God, you understand. There is no truth. Everything's relative. So there's only your truth and my truth. There's no God's truth. No, there is a God's truth. And there is a right and there's a wrong. There's a black and there's a white to everything. We might not see the black and white. We might see gray because we don't have enough info. But there's a truth. What would God say about that? That's where we want to get to. When you're thinking thoughts about somebody, they may or may not be true. You're building assumptions. You're building a case against them. It might not be rooted in fact. It might be rooted in your feelings. You have to stop and ask, what would God say about them? What's God's truth? So please don't fall into that your truth and my truth thing, all right? All right? It's not truth. Here's interesting, interesting twist number two. This one you won't be expecting. Because you are responsible to speak truth, please do not let people make you say things that you don't really believe. Because they're pressuring you. There's pressure. The pressure might be, I, I'll lose my friendship with them if I don't say the words they want me to say. The pressure might be, and this is happening to a lot of college professors in our day, if I don't sign that document and say I believe things that I don't really believe, I will lose my career. And a lot of professors, I'd say the better ones, are losing their careers. I heard Jordan Peterson say in a talk the other day that, uh, he referred to back when he was a professor at a college, and he said, back in the day when it was possible to be one. Uh, another guy just read his book, and so I thought, that's a great book. I want to look into him. And he used to be a professor here, then he was a professor there, but now he's here. Why is he there? It's like a little school in the backwater, because they wouldn't keep him because he wouldn't sign the papers, and they wouldn't keep him because he wouldn't sign the papers, and now his career has been relegated over to there. But he's writing books, and they're going... <laughs> Don't let anybody make you say things that you don't believe. That includes, here's an interesting twist on that. Do 
Don't let anybody make you say you're sorry when you're not. When before God, God's truth, best as I can tell, I didn't do anything wrong. Don't tell a lie to make easy peace. Don't tell a lie, I'm sorry, but inside I'm not really sorry because I don't think I did anything wrong. But I'll say I'm sorry because that's the only way I can see to make peace. No, you don't want to build peace on a lie. Make it a principle. I never say I'm sorry just because that's the easiest quick road to peace. That's peace bought too cheaply. It won't stand. It won't hold. By the same token, let me put it slightly differently. Never admit you did something wrong when you don't believe you did something wrong. Now, if, if you believe you did something wrong, be very quick to admit it. Oh, I was wrong. It hurt someone. It offended someone. I'm so sorry. Be the first person, the quickest person on the planet to say that. But if you look at it, you say, no, I think they're judging me wrongly. I think they got the issue wrong. I'm not sorry I said that. And I think I'm right, though they all think I'm wrong. Stand your ground. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know why this matters? I mean, have you ever been in this situation? Most of you are not. Uh, bless you. You haven't been in this situation. I have. Interesting twist. Don't let people make you say things that you don't believe. Here's interesting twist number three. This is about when some pastors lie. I thought you might be interested to know about this. I'm going to tell you about it so you can hold us all accountable here at Cornerstone. This is how some pastors lie. I guess there's more ways than this, but this is the one that I've seen. This is the one I've bumped into. This is the one I'm familiar with. Pastors lie when they preach a sermon that wasn't theirs, but they didn't tell you that. Plagiarism. There's a lot of plagiarism in pulpits these days. There's a lot of it. I know a pastor. I know him very well. And I have caught him plagiarizing again and again and again. Last sermon of his I listened to. I listened to it, and I said to myself, I know him. That's not his sermon. I know it's not. I know he didn't create that. I know he didn't write that. That's not him. In fact, I think it's probably, and I thought, I know who that is. It was J.D. Greer. So I went to their website. I looked at J.D. Greer. There was that sermon. There was the title. I listened to it. I watched word for word. And never did the guy say, now I want you to know I've gotten my sermon today from somebody else. It was a busy week. I had a cold. I was sick, whatever. So I'm going to give credit. This is from J.D. Greer. No, he never said that. I'd be fine if he said that. Just don't do that too often. But he never said that. Right down to, there was a place where J.D. Greer said, you know, I read in the paper this week. And this preacher, preaching his sermon, said, you know, I read in the paper this week. That's lying. It's not only lying, but it breaks another commandment. It's stealing. You're stealing his work without paying him credit for it. You're, steal, you're, you're standing in your pulpit in front of your people in the presence of God, and you're lying because they're presuming he wrote this. This is his sermon. And you're stealing because he wrote it, and you didn't pay him anything for it. It's lying and stealing, and a lot of pastors are doing it. 
friend of mine is an elder in a church in Florida. He used to be an elder with me in the church where I pastored in California. Great guy. His wife was my secretary. Great couple. I stay in touch with them. Wonderful people there in Florida. And the, and the church they're in in Florida, he contacted me once and said, our pastor's plagiarizing. What do we do? And we kind of walked through that, and it, it didn't go good. The pastor remained plagiarizing, and my friend left. Pastoral stealing. If you catch a pastor of Cornerstone stealing, do something about it, all right? If you catch a pastor of Cornerstone lying, do something about it. We're to put away lying and speak truth. I wrote this sermon by the grace of God. I created this sermon by the grace of God. I didn't steal it from anybody by the grace of God. That's how it is supposed to be. So that's that's interesting twist number three. So let me kind of gather up again. So here we are in a world of liars. True? Am I speaking the truth? A world of liars. The government lies. Really? Every government, not just this one, the one before and the one before and the one. Every government lies, some worse than others. Mechanics lie, right? Man, if you can just find a mechanic, and I have, if you can find a mechanic who will tell you the truth, and you know it because you've had numerous times when you can test it, they could have hit me for that, but they told me the truth and said, you only need this. If you can find a mechanic who will tell you the truth, stay with that mechanic. Tell your friends and family about that mechanic. That's a great mechanic. Write me a note. I'll tell you who my mechanic is. If you can find a handyman, I need a handyman. I'm not a handyman, but I found a handyman, and he lives right behind me. And I just had him over. I'll just tell you what it was. You want to know what it was? Do I have time? Yeah, I'll tell you what it was. So the bathroom exhaust fan in our master bathroom has gotten really noisy. So I went online. Yeah, it's 14, 15 years old, blah, blah, blah. Which, what's, the, what's the really good one to get? It's a Panasonic. The thing itself is $250. But I thought, I want to put a good one in. I'm going to buy the $250 one. So I called the handyman. Can you come put that in for me? So he came and he said, I could put that in for you and it would cost you $600. But let me tell you, just watch this. And he got up on his ladder and he pulled the thing down and he blew out the dust in there and he sprayed WD-40. And then he said, 50 bucks, please. And it sounded great after that. <laughs> I told him, man, I like the way you did that. He said, I've learned that honesty pays over time. Best principle is honesty. If you can find a handyman that'll just tell you the truth. If you can raise your kids so they'll just tell you the truth. Amen? We live in a world of liars. The guy who ran into you lies. People in business lie. Scholars lie. Judge Bork, how many of you remember him? He was up for Supreme Court. He got borked. They made that a term. He got borked. And in his book, oh, what's the title of that book? The Slouching to Morgamora. Thank you. I was thinking The Tempting of America. No, Slouching to Morgamora. He wrote that sometimes government officials are, here's a quote, relentlessly, relentlessly disingenuous in advancing their agenda. Meaning they lie and lie and lie and lie and lie. This is the case sometimes in government and business and kids and we and us. So, this is important. Be a truth teller. Slide man, show us the, the one verse again. Ephesians 3, 25. Thank you. 
Having put away falsehood. That's the assumption. You've already done that. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. All right, so I'm assuming you're in Christ. You want to do that. You're not in Christ. That ought to convict you of your sin. I've told lies. I need a Savior. Go to the Savior. He'll wash you clean. He'll forgive you all your trespasses of lying and everything else. So let this lead you to Christ. That's what the law of God does. It's a tutor to bring you to Christ. Don't stop with the law. I'll try real hard to keep that. No, let it lead you to Christ. And then he'll send you back to evangelical obedience. But here's some more scripture to help. Proverbs 12 and 22. Which part of this do you not understand? Which part of this is unclear and you need to explain to you? Lying lips are a what? An abomination to the Lord. Wow. So if your lips do this, you know that joke about, when can you tell if a lawyer's lying? <laughs> if his lips are moving? <laughs> One of my sons is a lawyer. Don't get into that now, all right? Watch the lawyer joke. There's a lawyer sitting right there. If, you're, if your lips are doing this, and they're lying, it's not like, well, that's a little thing. Everybody does that. No, it's an abomination to the Lord. God hears every lie, even the one that's just in your mind, even the one that you're just concocting in your heart. God hears every lie. Every lie you think or speak, it's as if you thought it or spoke it right in his presence because you are always right in his presence. And every time in his presence you think or utter a lie, it is an abomination to God. Let that help you. Because you in Christ say, I don't want to do things that are an abomination to my God. Oh, Lord, make me a truth thinker. Make me a careful truth speaker. Here's another verse that will help you. What what is the fate of liars? Now, lies are forgiven by Christ if you're in Christ. He removes your trespasses as far from you as the east is from the west. But then he turns you into a truth teller. And if you just remain a liar, 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 then here's you. Here's what the Bible tells us about your fate. Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. So if it's like it's your identity, I am a liar. Not My identity is I'm in Christ. Sometimes I still don't get the truth. Sometimes I do tell a lie. No, not not that. But if I'm just, I'm a liar, I'm a liar, I'm a liar. I love lying. I'm happy with my lying. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So this is serious stuff. Let me show you again the next chapter, Revelation 22, 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes. We never get every spot and every wrinkle out of them until the last day. But we're busy by the grace of God, washing our robes. We wash them initially in the blood of Christ, so we're holy in God's sight. But now practically in our walk, we have to wash and wash and wash. And we're busy doing that. That's evangelical obedience. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates outside. Who doesn't get to enter? Who's outside? Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. 
It's not that as a believer, you love Christ, you don't ever want to say anything that's untrue, but once in a while you do, and you go, oh man, I didn't want to do that. Why did I do that? I lied. I'm so sorry. You repent. You go back to the Lord. No, this is somebody who loves and practices falsehood. They're like, watch this. It's like Adolf Hitler with his, did you read his Mein Kampf? I read that long ago. My fight, my struggle. And in that, he talks about his not theory, his, his principle, if I may call it that, of what he called the big lie. If you tell them a big enough lie, it's like so outrageous that you couldn't possibly be lying. They'll believe you. And he practiced what he called the big lie. Of course, the big lie behind every lie is there is no God or I'll still be okay with God even if I tell this lie. But these are to help you. God, God hates lying lips. They're an abomination to him. And the future for liars, everyone who loves and practices falsehood, is not good. Next verse that helps us. When do people begin to lie? How old are you when you first start lying? Well, let's look at Psalm 58, verses 3 through 5. Here's one for all the kids in the room. Kids, listen up. You mind been fading away somewhere? Come back to me, back to me, kids, kids. Here you go. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adler that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. But again, they go astray from birth, speaking lies. What is one of the first childhood sins? Speaking lies. Another one might be just throwing it all out, tantrum, a fit. But speaking lies. We almost have to laugh at the lies of our kids sometimes. They're so dumb. They're so obvious. I remember two, two of our sons were in a tussle, and they were throwing punches, which didn't particularly bother me. But then... And, and bringing them to account for it, one of them, he's crying, and he says, he hit me back first. <laughs> That's dumb. <laughs> but a lot of kids are liars. Young people, if this is convicting you, yes, I have told lies, let that take you to the cross of Jesus Christ where you can find pardon and forgiveness, where God will by the blood of Christ, wipe your slate clean, and he will see you in Christ holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then you'll love him supremely, and you'll want to obey him and bring him honor and glory, and you'll seek to render him evangelical obedience, and the rest of your life you'll work hard at not being a liar anymore, but telling the truth. Young people, this is a good one for you. One more passage quick. I have a little time left. And let's trace lies all the way back. Where did they start? Where did they come from? Where did they begin from? This is to help you not want to be involved with lies. John 8, 44. Jesus says to the people in the temple, particularly the scribes and the Pharisees, John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Like, how PC was that? How nuanced was that? How winsome was that? Yeah, you guys are of the devil, 
and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, here's the part we want, and the father of lies. So when you're telling lies, you're never more like the devil. Lies originated with him. He's the start of all lies. He's the first liar. He's the one who wants you to be a liar. What was his first lie to humans? You shall not surely die if you eat of that fruit. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher, said, when there is a lie in the tongue, the devil is in the heart. And that's true. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they lied about some, they sold some property. Here's all the money. It was only some of the money. They wanted people's praise. And Peter says to them, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The origin of all lies is the devil. You're never more like the devil than when you're telling a lie. You're never making the devil more happy, maybe, than when you're telling a lie. He says, oh, that's my thing, lies. You're in my camp now. Lying. Contrast that with, and this is to help you again, not to want to tell lies, but to tell the truth. Contrast the devil with God. We read in the first passage. Give me the next slide, please, slide man. Thank you. Titus 1-2. Titus 1-2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. He is the God who cannot lie, and who never lies. So in closing, number one, Jesus receives repentant liars. Bless God or there'd be nobody in the kingdom, right? Who in this room has never lied? Stand up and show yourself. We want to see you. Jesus receives repentant liars. You need Jesus to be pardoned and forgiven and changed. Point number two in closing. So tell the truth. Don't tell lies. Point number three in closing. Learn to do it inside. Be very careful to do it inside, in your heart and in your mind. Thing number four in closing. Just another verse that Debbie, I, I went up went up for coffee, my studies downstairs, went up to refill my coffee at about seven. This happens a lot of mornings. She's up, she's in the front room reading her Bible and her devotional literature and having her prayer time. And I go in and say hi, and we love that little time, couple minutes where we get to connect in the morning. And she said, what, what are you working on, my sermon? What's it about, not telling lies? She said, oh, let me read you what I just read. Here it is. Proverbs 30, verses seven and eight, the words of Augur, A-G-U-R. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. <laughs> this is what I want. It's on my bucket list. This is all I need before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Just get me around people who tell the truth, please. Then I can die. And give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. But isn't that cool? He says, look, here's all I want and then I can die. Just give me honest people and whatever food I really need, neither poverty nor riches. Let us be the people that Augur would have said, yes, like them. Thank you, Lord, for these people. They're my community. They're truth tellers. By the grace of God, shall we pray together?
Father, thank you for this portion of your word, and we pray that it would indeed go deeply into our hearts. May it pierce some hardened hearts in this room today and that they would repent and turn to you, Lord Jesus, and seek forgiveness and pardon and grace and mercy, and then rise up determined by the help of the Holy Spirit to be truth tellers. We all confess to you that Sometimes we allow ourselves to think things that are lies, maybe because we're upset, maybe because we're angry, maybe it's an unguarded moment. Forgive us our trespasses, Lord, we pray, and make us, renew us in Christ, make us like him. Father, we pray that we as pastors and we as a church, because we're members of the same body, because we're one, that we would especially speak truth one with another. May Cornerstone Community Church be a church of truth, And so we ask for all this in the strong name, the name of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.